Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Kill Germ podcast. Today I'm joined over the phone by Avril Turner, who is Kill Germ's technical manager for the Midlands. Avril has 16 years experience in pest control and you may have seen her from Kill Germ's training courses or the workshops given one of her brilliant presentations and she's here to talk to me today about textile pests. So thank you for joining me today Avril. Textile pests are seemingly on the rise over the past few years but which are the most common textile pests that we're seeing? Uh, yeah, that's right. We've had um, certainly an uplifting calls to our technical log and on a sort of personal inspection basis as well. I've seen, you know, a few more cases than we would do normally. And also um, a study done by English Heritage a few years ago also showed that their historic houses were getting more textile pests as well. So the, the really common ones that we come across a lot are the clothes moths and carpet beetles. Um, specifically common clothes moth, Tinea bicellia, and the case-bearing clothes moth, which is Tinea pelonella. And then one of the most common carpet beetles is the varied carpet beetle, Anthrus babaski. And the larval stage of the varied carpet beetle is the infamous woolly bears, the sort of spiny, sort of fairy caterpillar-type larvae that you might see in your house. Right, okay, so... What do you look for then when, when you're inspecting for these textile pests? Okay, so um, you can sometimes find the larvae along the carpet edge. That's one of the sort of key places that you'd probably look first. Um, you might have had um, the customer report that they'd seen adult moths. Um, they tend to flutter around in dark corners, um, especially when you shine your torch on them because they used to be in the dark. They can't see very well and they do tend to flutter and almost scuttle about and run around rather than actually fly um, they're not strong flyers at all so they tend to stay around the area where they want to breed and they want to lay their eggs um, the beetles are a bit different they can fly and migrate from outside they're actually coming in to lay their eggs inside so they need that um, for the larvae they need like a, a really nice food source um, and they're often picked up on sticky traps and insect crawling traps, so the um, like a crawl, crawling insect traps. Um, and then other places you might want to check. Um, you might also want to check in the roof space or soffits for bird nesting material or other detritus, because that's one of the things that brings them in is um, bird nesting material, and that's when you can sometimes find beetles migrating down from the roof space. Um, you might also find spent silk pupil cases or tiny cases woven from surrounding materials, especially with the case-bearing clothes moth. They weave these um, tiny pupil cases that they um, kind of like around themselves, that they emerge from, feed, and then go back into. So they're quite interesting, and you can find them. Um, the common clothes moth will weave silk tunnels underneath the carpet matting. So you might not even notice they're there until you see a, a bold patch on the carpet and then you have a proper lock and you can find these silk tunnels underneath that the larvae have been using. Um, both the moths and beetles who find frass and that's what we refer to as the droppings or fecal pellets of the larvae um, and they're often clumped together along with what they've been eating. So yeah they tend to, they tend to form and kind of aggregate in those sort of areas. Um, apart from the carpet you can also find obviously holes in clothing as well so anything that they can eat they will eat 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, that that's the thing you sort of taught as kids, isn't it? When you you know, if you've got holes in your clothes, then you you know it's moths. Um, yeah. You mentioned then that they need a good food source. So, what other kinds of things do they feed on? Could you give us some examples of that? Yeah, they are um, keratin feeders. So basically, anything that contains the protein keratin could be attacked. So anything from obviously wool products, but also skin, fur, hair, feathers. All those sorts of things, even even dust. Obviously, that's made of dead skin cell, but they can actually feed on the dust that from our skin, which is pretty gross. Um, but they can they can feed on that, or the larvae can feed on that. Um, but yeah, the adults don't normally feed at all. They live long enough to breed, and that's about it. So it's the, it's the larvae phase of both the beetles and the moths that cause this sometimes extensive damage to. Um, even wool insulation and things like that, natural natural fibres that are used in building materials, they can even infest those sorts of areas too. Um, the carpet beetles, adults, they can feed, but they only feed on sap and they live outside when it's warmer. And then, like I said, they only come in to feed. Um, and, yeah, the larvae is the most damaging, damaging form of their life cycle. They're basically feeding and eating machines trying to get all those nutrients that they need to progress to adults yeah that's interesting about what you said about the adults they're not really feeding and the thing is when you look at sort of other treatments of other pests you look at so for instance rodents you'd say this is what they're eating this is why they're here but there's no way that you can just sort of get rid of all of your clothes to so that you don't get textile pests or or anything like that so that's really inconvenient um so when when this kind of thing does arise. What kind of treatments can the pest controllers carry out? Okay, well, um, as we know, we're losing a lot of chemicals, and so we'd really have to focus on finding a source first. Um, so if, obviously, the problem has arisen, we need to find the source and, obviously, try and get rid of or isolate that source as much as we can. Um, like I said, it does tend to be, like, in sort of domestic dwellings, it can be roof spaces and even into sort of old wasp nests and things like that. They can feed on the materials that they've used to make the wasp nest or any other sort of area like that in the roof space, um, bird nesting. Um, but alongside that, it's, I mean, it's hygiene and housekeeping's essential because bearing in mind that they can feed on anything keratin-based, so skin, hair, fur, all those sorts of things. And we can clean those away quite easily. So starting off with our sort of integrated pest management hygiene housekeeping really good practices are really a good place to start um obviously hygiene should always be paramount we can also actually by vacuuming remove many of the insect eggs and food sources together so that can really help from a starting point um next would be monitoring so getting a really good monitoring system in place identifying the correct species and then monitoring progress once we do start to actually treat the actual problem um so on to actual treatments as it were if we've got a particularly severe case and we can see that we have got a lot of adults um, then we might want to do a knockdown or a space treatment to get rid of all those adults quickly and sort of halt the life cycle from that point of view and get rid of the adults um but a single knockdown treatment wouldn't be enough so we're unlikely to get to all of the larvae, unlikely to get to all of the eggs. So we'd really need a residual insecticide to be put down, cost spray, 
and then that would affect any of the new emerging insects as they emerge and it's a it's a really good point actually because this time of year as it's going colder um the larvae can go into what we call diapause and that means that they go into like a stasis when it's colder and they'll only come out again when it's warmer so over winter particularly we can see a complete drop off and decrease in activity and the customer pest controller thinks like it's gone we've treated it it's gone completely no worries job done and then as soon as it starts to warm up again in around sort of february march we tend to get a massive uplift and it's because the larvae have been in diapause and they've pupated and then hatched out again so it can get that as an issue um actual chemicals so considering the loss of firecam w um other sort of alternatives if you like the um New one from Bayer, K-Arthropartix, it's got a really long residual life, so that would be good. Um, we need that, we like a long residual life so that it can affect any emerging new adults. Um, other products, Effects Ultimum or even Vasocytomax Plus, they've both got quite good residual properties and some nice actives in them. Um, again, you'd have to be cautious using insecticide, particularly on some of the materials and some of the areas that you'd need to treat where sort of clothing and textile pests are because they can affect the textile in a bad way. Um, it can destroy it if you do the wrong treatment on it. So um, always testing it in an inconspicuous area first, and that can sort of help hopefully overcome any damage that you might do using a treatment. Um, and then alternatives to that, we'd want to look at doing maybe cold treatments or freezing. So use of vasor ice, something like that, in localised areas. You can have heat treatments. Heat treatments, although they can be expensive, will kill off all life cycle stages. Um, and steam. So we've got a couple of sort of non-chemical options there. Um, and then there is really specialist treatments such as oxygen scavenging using CO2. So it's a real specialist treatment, but if you've got a priceless article that is part of history and is absolutely irreplaceable, then you might need to have some sort of treatment like that done. Um, another one is dry cleaning. So if it is like textiles such as clothing, the item can be dry cleaned and that will also kill off all life cycle stages. Um, and then a final one, you can use sort of physical chemicals like Provecta. So it can be useful to treat the adults if we've got a lot of a lot of adults there and a sort of severe infestation of the first sort of a knockdown treatment, if you like. Yeah, I think it's important to cover all bases there, as you have done. Obviously, like you say, different situations in pest control call for different measures, like you were saying about, you know, if it's part of history, then you don't want to be doubting yeah. it in chemicals and, ru and ruining that. Uh, yeah. but, sorry, just to rewind a, a second, um, What you mentioned all the different kinds of treatments, chemicals, non-chemicals uh, non yeah. and stuff like that, but what kind of monitors would you recommend before you even get to that stage is there any specific ones that you have in mind yeah actually we have got some really really good monitors for um textile pests so the demi diamond traps work really well obviously with the correct um pads in so for closed moths it's a blue grid pad and obviously it says the um, correct species on the label as well um, there's also a variety of black stripe traps that you could use, some of the black stripe triangle traps, obviously with the correct luring. And then for most and majority of flying insects, the black stripe is actually an attractant as well. So you've got a lure in it as well as a, a visual attractant. 
Um, stumble traps, again, like the sort of AF crawling insect trap, they'll pick up particularly sort of um, carpet beetles, they'll pick them up quite easily. Um, and then there is an also, there's the Explore um, Fit trap, which stands for Fabric Insect Trap, and that's got multiple attractants for several different species in it. So there is quite a, for what is kind of a niche market, there is quite a good range of traps that you could try out. Yeah, that's good. Obviously, like well, like I said earlier about the um, about the actual insecticides, it's something for every sort of situation. So it's good to know that we're we've covered there on all bases, really, or as many as as possible. Yeah. Um, it, let's say we get to you know you think you've got a textile pest because there's there's again um, holes in your clothes or or something like that. Is that yeah. always textile pests, or is there any other insects that could damage the textiles? There is actually, yeah. Um, we sometimes come across, well, we call them scavengers, really, because they're not just keratin feeders. They can feed on other things as well. Um, there's a couple of different types. There's the brown house moss, Hoffmanphilia pseudostratella, um, white shoulder house moss, Androsis sarsatella. And in, in, obviously in the few years I've been doing pest control, I've come across those on various different times, often often gnawing into bait blocks when they've not been sort of serviced for a while. Um, and you can you can get them occurring in houses that are quite, quite common, really. And you, they can do significant damage if the population is left long enough. And they will, again, the larval stage is damaging and you can get issues with those. Um, there is another moth as well that we're finding more frequently gnawing and sort of feeding on different things is Indian meal moth, so this Plodorins punctella, typically a food moth and a food product moth, but has been reportedly infesting building materials. So they're obviously finding other sources that they can actually feed on and causing issues like this. And you'd think, oh, it's, you know, it's a textile pest, and then you actually get it identified and it's something, something that atypical that you wouldn't think of at all. Um, and and Plodium moth can infest wasps' nests and again, building materials, nesting, bird nesting materials, um, and all those sorts of similar type things. Um, there is another couple of beetles as well. So they're still textile beetles, and you might come across them, but probably not as commonly as the varied carpet beetle. But we've got the two-spot carpet beetle. Um, another name for that is a fur beetle, but Atogenus pellio is the Latin. Um, and then we've also got, I love the name of this one, it's called a vodka beetle, <laughs> or a museum beetle, and the Latin is Atogenus smirnoviae, which I love, I think it's a fantastic <laughs> name. Um, but yeah, you can, really common in museums, and you can get them, they are basically a, a type of carpet beetle, so again, they can get into textiles, they can get into certain building materials, and other things as well. I should also perhaps mention silverfish too, um, and uh, grey silverfish, which can commonly cause issues. Um, they're not actually keratin feeders, but they can appear to damage textiles. And it's often the case that they're not actually feeding on the textile or the keratin itself, but they are feeding on um, carbohydrates and polysaccharides that are associated. For example, they may seem to damage wallpaper, but what they're actually feeding on, they could feed on the paper, but they are feeding on the wallpaper paste. So... In theory, you could get what looks like textile damage, but it's actually silverfish. And, and obviously, they need a sort of a, a cooler, damper environment. And one of the first steps with silverfish would be to decrease humidity, and that's going to be the first step in treatment.
Brilliant. Well, thank you for joining me today, Avril. As I said earlier, it's an issue that's been on the rise for a while now, and I think this will go a long way to helping people tackle it. So, yeah, thank you again. Okay, you're welcome. Cheers, bye. Bye. The code that you need to claim basis prompt CPD points for this episode of the Kill Germ podcast is AT-TP-1120. As I said earlier on, this is episode 12, which means that if you've listened to and redeemed the code for all the Kill Germ podcasts to date, you can expect six basis prompt CPD points landing in your account very soon. For full instructions on how to do that and claim for BPCA CPD points too, head to either of the first two episodes of the Kill Germ podcast where I explain in full. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.